0: Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to The Jar. My name's Chris, and we're so glad you chose to hang out with us today. Happy Fourth of July uh, to every one of you, and so uh, we're glad you're here. Um, I was thinking about it this week that I've actually traveled to 18 different foreign countries uh, in my life. And every country that I've ever been to, uh, I've loved the people and it's been cool to know the traditions and kind of the customs of that group of folks. But I'll tell you what, uh, when I would talk with these people, the thing that they would talk about most of all is the freedoms that we have as a country. And how grateful they were and how uh, they would give up almost anything uh, for that to happen, to have that kind of freedom. And so I was thinking that this morning, uh, what we could do is just take a moment and to pray and to give thanks to God uh, for allowing us uh, to live in the country uh, that we live in. And so let's take a moment right now uh, and let's pray. Well, God, we uh, thank you so much for the country uh, that we live in. We thank you for the freedoms that we have that... Places uh, throughout this world, God, they literally give up their lives uh, for that. And we simply take it for granted because we've been born into this amazing nation. Help us to have hearts, God, that are filled with gratitude for the blessings that we have. And Lord, on this day, uh, we are just so grateful for the men and the women who have sacrificed their life in years before us. So that we could have the freedoms that we have and that we could pursue life, liberty and happiness. God, we pray right now that you would continue to bless this great land and help us to know how to love and serve you and one another. Most of all, I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. In the uh, community where. I pastored for the very first time, the first church that I pastored. There was the largest church in the community was called Jubilee Fellowship. There was this uh, gigantic billboard that uh, was up, and when you would drive into the community, you could see the, the billboard. It was the only church that had a billboard. It was the only church that actually had more than one pastor on staff. And uh, it just seemed like everything at Jubilee was going amazing. And baptisms were happening, uh, happening weekly and funerals were happening weekly at the church that I pastored. And every time that uh, I would see this sign, I was reminded of their senior pastor, Jeff. Jeff was this very dynamic person. He was a good communicator, a good teacher, a a very creative guy. And he had the largest church in our community. And it made me sick. I was jealous of Jeff and Jubilee on top of that. It was the only church in the entire county that had a worship band. Every other church thought that drums were of the devil. And uh, we just didn't have them, but, but they did. And it was just like people were flocking to Jubilee and they were walking out of the jar regularly. Now, we had this ministerial association. It's basically a group of pastors that would get together. And as we would get together... Uh, we would go around a circle and we would tell about how things were going at our church. And I always hated to sit beside Jeff. Because things at Jubilee were always jubilant. And things at the jar, or things that were at uh, the church that I was pastoring called the Florida Church of the Brethren and Bachelor Run, things were not jubilant. It was very discouraging, uh, to be at that place. And over time, every moment I would get around Jeff, all of a sudden I noticed that envy would kind of surface to the top of my being. And I resented what he had. And I would begin to start asking, why not me, God? Like, why not me? Have you ever become envious of some person in your life and ask the question, "Why not me?" Uh, a coworker gets a promotion and you're like, "I work just as hard as them. Why not me?" You look at somebody else's marriage and you're like, "Man, they're so happy. Why not me?" You look at somebody else and what uh, they're experiencing in purchasing a new house, and you're like, "Why not me?" Ladies, have you ever looked at another woman before? You're like, how can they fit in a size three? And I'm even not even close to that. Like, why not me? Guys, have you ever had that feeling before where you see your buddy get a brand new truck and you're like, why not me? But every single one of us, regardless of who we are, we've had that question before of why not me? Have any of you Ever been envious at any time in your life before? Just raise your hand. Those of you on the stream, go ahead, and do that too. And some of you are not participating. And those people that don't raise their hand, what do we call them? Liars. Liars. That's right. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar because we're all envious at different points in our life. Now, the good news is, is that we are not the first people to ever battle or struggle with envy. The early church struggled with this a lot, and in particular, the church of Corinth, which we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. Corinth is in present-day Greece, and Paul is the guy who writes to this church in Corinth, because these people at Corinth, they were very envious of one another. They were constantly boasting about the things that they did. They kind of puffed themselves up. And so Paul... Writes twelve chapters in this letter to them, uh, basically telling them you're doing it all wrong. You're you're going through life and you're not doing it right. You're you're envious and you're boastful and you are puffing yourself up. It's it's kind of like a rap. You envy, you boast, you puff yourself up. You envy, you post, you uh, puff yourself up. Better not cuss like a rapper right now. But anyway, that's the problem with us. Sometimes we envy, we boast, we puff ourselves up. And Paul calls out the pride and the arrogance that is going on in this church for 12 chapters. And then he gets to chapter 13. And this is what Paul writes. He says to them, if I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I could have all knowledge and faith to move mountains and give everything away. But if I have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. And people hear this and they're like, this is awesome. This is so beautiful. They're basking in these words and they're like, Paul, just stop. Stop right there. But Paul doesn't stop. He actually puts the hammer down and he says, well, now I'm going to tell you what love is not like. And he says, love is not envious. Love is not boastful. Love is not puffed up. And he says, when I look at each one of you in the church of Corinth, he says, when I think about what love is not like, Corinth, love is not like you. And then he starts calling them out like in sections, It's not like you, and 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 it's not like like the people on the stream. Paul was a streamer. And he just had this ability where he was just telling them hard, fast facts that love is not like you. In fact, he says you are the opposite of love, Corinth, and the opposite of love is envy. And then Paul says these words, love does not envy. Let's all say that out loud together this morning. Love does not envy. Love does not envy. Well, this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. So let me ask you a question again. For those of you who are not awake or you did not raise your hand the first time, how many of you have ever been envious about anything in your life? Raise your hand real quick. There you go. Let's not call you out. All right. It's all of us. Now, I want you to know, folks, that I have a rich history of envy. It is not just with Pastor Jeff and Jubilee Fellowship, but there are other things that I envy as well. So here goes the list of the people that I have envy toward. People who are more athletic than me, people who are smarter than me, guys who are better looking than me, weightlifters. Kind of obvious, right? Like there's nothing there. If you lift weights, I hate you. I can't lift weights. I run. This is why I look the way that I do. I have no muscle. Who else am I envious of? Football players, musicians, people who are better husbands than me, people who are better dads than me, better leaders than me, people who travel more than me, people who tan more than me. We went to the swimming pool yesterday. I look like the white shadow. And there was this one lady and this one guy. They must like live there. And I was like, I'll never be that tan. I was envious just yesterday. The tango. Anyone that can do that tango, Like, I wish I knew how to do the tango and could be like, you know, a sexy dancer with my wife. She'll tell you, there's no tango. That's even the hair. People who are 50 years of age and they don't have gray hair, you stink. People who never sweat. People who have it all together. And for those of you that didn't raise your hand and you're basically saying, you know what? I don't even struggle with envy. Guess what? I envy you too. And yet scripture says love does not envy. And it's such a bitter statement for us to swallow. Love does not envy. You know, it's kind of a sneaky thing about envy because it can get in our heads regularly, especially when we're on social media. Have you ever noticed it before? Your day is going well, and then all of a sudden you look on Instagram or you look on Facebook or you look on Twitter, and then all of a sudden you start seeing some other people, what they post, and you're like, huh, they got a better house than me. They got a better car than me. They went to a better place to eat than me. They have better kids than me. Look at their kids. They're winning everything. My kids don't win anything. Like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, envy starts to rise within you. It just seems like that even when it comes to TikTok, TikTok, you don't stop, you don't dance, and all of a sudden, what happens? Our teenage kids, they do this and they're like, well, that one's not good enough. I got to go do something better. And they become envious of somebody else. Like, they're going to be envious of me. This is going viral right now. My dance right there. And this is what I found, folks, that the more time people spend on social media, the more temptation it is to become envious of other folks. Now, when it comes right down to it, The definition of envy is this, and this is a fill-in for you. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. You can go ahead and uh, put that into the program or on the app, but envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Solomon uh, the guy who was considered the wisest man of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9, he actually wrote these words and he said, Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Uh, let's go ahead and let's read that out loud together, because I think it would be helpful for many of us to have that in our head, okay? So let's read it out loud together on 3, 1, 2, 3, Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. You know, if you want to have, folks, if you want to have God's joy and peace in your life, then enjoy what God has given you rather than looking at other people on Instagram or around the corner in the neighborhood and going, I wish I had their life. Because this is what i found so often. Every time that you wish... You had somebody else's life. There's somebody else that's going, I wish I had their life. So rather than wishing for someone else or someone else wishing they had your life, why don't you just live the life that God called you to live? Well, Paul's very clear that the opposite of envy is love. And so then he says, love does not envy. Now, Jesus, when he first created his community... He wanted to create a community where they would live the opposite of envy. That everyone would just live a life that was totally opposite of envy. But the problem was, he struggled to get this message across. He couldn't even get it across to his 12 best friends, his disciples. How do we know this? Well, there's a story in which one day, uh, two of uh, his inner circle, James and John, fishermen... They come up to him one day and they say these words. Jesus, let us sit at your right side and one on your left side when you come into your kingdom. It's funny. Uh, this story actually is told in another gospel in Matthew. And they don't even say it. They send their mom. their are mama's boys. They send their mom to actually say, hey, could my son sit at your right and your left? They're mama's boys. And then Jesus says these words. Can you drink the cup that I will drink? And they're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. They didn't really understand the suffering that would come. But they said, no, 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 we can do that. And everything seems fine until the other ten disciples find out what these guys have asked. And they get ticked. They get angry. They get mad. And it's not because James and John asked something wrong. It was because they didn't ask it first. They're envious of James and John because they weren't thinking about it. They were like, why wasn't that me? Why wasn't I the one who was the first to ask, could I sit on your right side or your left side when you come into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus starts hearing all this bickering and all of this uh, kind of arguing going on. And he just shuts it down. And Jesus says these words. You know that the rulers of this world lord it over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever, whoever wants to become great must become a servant. Whoever wants to become first must be last. Now, folks, who teaches that? Not Corinth, not Rome. Not Muncie, not Yorktown, not Delaware County, not Jay County, not Indiana, not Ohio, not the United States, not Mexico. No one teaches this kind of thing, folks. Only Jesus does. Only Jesus. And then he goes on to say, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for any. For many. In other words, he says, hey guys, here's the plan do the opposite. Every time you go through your mind that you start to become envious, just do the opposite. Every instinct that you have has a tendency, because we're human beings, to be wrong, so just do the opposite. Scripture actually says that the blood of every brother and sister cries out from the ground because people go with their instinct rather than doing the opposite. So let's do the opposite. And when we do it, that we could do it joyfully. And we could exercise this ability to serve and give ourselves away rather than seeking self-preservation. Have you ever noticed this before? That if you're trying to stop being envious, the goal should not be, I'm just going to tell myself, stop being envious. Just like work harder at not being envious. If you want to stop being envious, you don't work harder at doing that. You don't, you know, kind of just grit your teeth and kind of plow through to be able to stop being envious. No, if you want to remove envy in your life, folks. The key is love, because the reality is where there is love, it roots out envy. Where there is a presence of love, envy is rooted out. So here's kind of the big idea and kind of your take home today is this. Practice the opposite of envy and love. As you go through this entire week, you'll have opportunities to practice the opposite of envy. Something will make you become envious, and what you need to do is practice love. Rather than looking at other people as you go through your week as rivals, that you would actually see them as people that Jesus loves. Because love is patient, love is kind, and love does not envy. And when the temptations come, and they will come, and they rise to your head, remember these words, do the opposite. Just do the opposite. There's a family uh, therapist by the name of Jim Roberts who one day came to his kid's uh, fourth, uh, uh, fourth grade classroom. His son was in this classroom, and then the teacher went ahead and introduced a game that all the kids were going to do. And she introduced the game called Balloon Stomp. Balloon Stomp. And what would happen is each kid would have a balloon tied around their ankle. And the whole part of the game was you were to protect your own balloon, but you were supposed to try to stomp on the balloon of every other kid that was in the class. It was kind of like a survival of the fittest. It was, uh, you know, kind of dog eat dog, uh, go after it. And so the game began to take place, except for a few individuals who were, um, let's say, people who knew they weren't going to win, so they had ballooned suicide. They just went ahead and took their balloon at the very beginning and they popped it because they knew there was no way they were going to win this. And then uh, kind of, you know, what would happen within the game? Obviously, the most aggressive kid, the kid, the meanest kid, the toughest kid was the one who actually won. Then something kind of disturbing happened. They brought in another class of kids who had intellectual challenges. They had intellectual disabilities. And when these kids came in, they explained the process. They each put a balloon around their ankle. And Jim said, when he when he saw this, he he realized this is going to be bad. This is going to be horrible. This is not going to be good at all. And then the strangest thing happened. These kids who were challenged intellectually, They understood that the whole purpose of the game was simply to pop the balloons. But rather than popping the other kid's balloon, kind of in that dog-eat-dog kind of way, they decided that what they would do is they would do it a different way. And so they methodically went and they joyfully would pull out their balloon and set it out for the next kid to stomp on it. And so one little girl came and she got her balloon out. She got it ready and her partner just stomped on it. Then he took his balloon. He turned it around and then he stomped on it. And pretty soon every balloon goes until the last balloon is stomped. And when that happened, everyone cheered because every single person had won. They just did it the opposite. So here's my question for each one of you this morning. Which way are you going to play the game? Which way are you going to keep score? When you see the balloon of someone else, are you going to become envious of it and you're going to try to stomp it out? Or would you be able to look at whatever balloon that they have and say, wow, that's awesome. That's great. I'm so glad that you have that and that you celebrate with that person and how you might be able to serve them. You know, the reality is, uh, this kind of thing is not so hard to do with people that we like and people that we feel no competition toward. But, when it's someone that we compete against, it becomes difficult. So this week, I want to challenge you, To think of someone who is your competitor. And you might be saying, oh, I don't have any competitor. Yes, you do. Do you know who your competitor is? Anybody that you compare yourself to. doesn't matter who it is. Whoever you have a tendency to compare yourself to, that's your competitor. It might be somebody at work. It might be a neighbor. It could be a friend. It could be another parent. It could be your sibling. It could be anyone. Maybe somebody that you went to school with a long time ago, and you're always kind of comparing yourself, that's your competitor. It's the person that when you see their success, when you see their blessing, it just kind of gets underneath your skin a little. So right now, what I'm going to do is to give you a quiet moment just between you and God for you to ask him, who is the person that I have a tendency to compete with the most. Maybe it's somebody at work. And in your program, there is a place for you to write down whoever that competitor is, or you can put it on the app, or you can put it on your phone. Now, I know right now many of you are like, I don't want someone to see who that person is. And so we're going to dim down the lights for a second. For those of you that are on the stream, just take a moment. Uh, But we'll bring the lights down right now. And we'll give people a moment where you can write down who that is. And this is what I want to challenge you this week. Don't just write their name down, but actually start praying for them. And then I want you to think of just one way that you could encourage them. It could be with something that you would say. It could be with an encouraging text. It could be an instant message. Whatever it is, you would take a moment to do that. So right now, uh, we'll play a little music so that you can have a moment to simply write down whatever that person is that is your competitor, who you have envy towards sometimes, and that you would pray for them and you do one encouraging thing for them this week. So take a moment to do that right now. Well, I hope you have a name of somebody, and uh, you might think about how you might reach out to them this week. You know, ultimately, it was envy that actually put Jesus on the cross. A group of religious leaders did not necessarily like that someone else was getting all the glory, and they weren't. And so they created a plan to kill him, and they succeeded. What they didn't know is that Jesus actually had a counter plan to destroy envy once and for all. In fact, Jesus said, I will be God to forgive people any time that they are envious. And the very cross that you think you're defeating me on actually will become a symbol that people will wear one day around their necks that will represent the fact that there is one who has power over envy, and it's called love. You see, rather than getting revenge... Rather than sending millions of angels to come down and destroy the Jewish leaders and all of the Romans, what Jesus did was he did the opposite. He actually did the opposite of envy and he loved. Now, this week, what I want to tell you is that you don't have to be envious of anybody because you are unique. You are one of a kind. You are God's masterpiece. You do not need to envy any other person. Because the God of the universe looks down at you and he loves you exactly where you're at. And he is proud of you. Because love is patient, love is kind, and love does not envy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much for the fact that you love us in spite of how messed up we can be sometimes. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to go to a cross so that we would not die of envy. Lord, help us this week to reach out to that one person who we have a tendency to to have competition with, that we compare ourselves, that we envy a little bit, that it gets under our skin sometimes when things go so well with them. Help us, God, to do the opposite of simply having a hard heart of envy and help us to be softened, to encourage them, to bless them, to pray for them in some way. God, maybe for some of us, there are multiple people like that. And some of these people are difficult people. They're not just envious, but they brag about it and it gets underneath our skin and we get upset. But the truth is, God, is that we're difficult people, too, sometimes. And yet you still love us and you care for us, even when we're unlovable. God, help us to not have envy this week and to love like you. Now, the reality is, is that some of you have never accepted the love of God before. And the reason you haven't is because you look back to your past and you think, man, I've messed up so much. There's no way that God would love me. God wouldn't have anything to do with me. I can't earn that love. Folks, his love is not based upon our behavior. It's based on his nature because it says God is love. Remember the first verse that we looked at this whole series? 1 John four sixteen. God is love. That's His nature. It's His nature to love you regardless of who you are, regardless of the envy that you have in your life. And He desires to have a relationship with you. And so today, if you're willing to say, I need Him in my life. I need a fresh start. It's 4th of July. It's the beginning. But I need something new in me that I'm going to invite you in a prayer. And it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself, but it's a prayer we pray in community together. and So I'm going to invite you right now to simply bow your head and if you feel comfortable doing so, to simply repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. I know your love lasts always. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.